Yes, yes, this is Jordan Martins coming live from my screen to yours, and you're tuned to the Screens and Rhymes podcast, where we discuss screens, tech, how we interact with it, internet culture, and rhymes, art, music, the things that inspire us. This is a space for us to share our stories through screens, and today I'll be sharing some space with the homie Mike Tony Design. He's a good friend of mine, close friend, collaborator, mentor. Shout out to you if you listened to episode one, where we talked about our history. But in this episode, we'll be talking about our game of the year and some of the best game storytelling that happened in 2020. In the first segment, you'll hear from me, and I'm going to be talking about some of my personal favorites of the year. I always do a favorites of 2020 list. And in the second half, you'll hear my interview with Mike Tony Design, where we're talking about about our game of the year conversation it gets really really heated our talking deeply about all of the candidates but really focus in on ghost of shishima the last of us 2 as well as final fantasy 7 remake let's go like subscribe follow share with the homies a journey awaits a welcome escape from all replace what was lost Headband of Rebirth Haiku. You're all right, cool. So we're gonna get into some of my favorites of the year. I always do a list. You can find it at screensarounds.com. Jordan Martin's favorites of 2020. I'm gonna break down my list. If you're listening to this now, it'll be live on my website and you can find the full list there. But I just want to break down some of my favorites of the year before we get into the game of the year conversation in segment two. I do my favorites of 2020 list because I feel it's important to document internet culture. You know, sites go down, videos go unlinked, blogs die. I think it's cool just to honor the moments that happen because what happens in the digital space is so ingrained with our emotions, how we feel, how we think, how we express ourselves. So this is why I think it's important to document all this stuff and why I do the work that I do. All right, so my favorite album of the year. This was tough because I listened to, I don't know, not a lot of new music came out and some some stuff came late that I liked, but it wasn't quite album of the year. So I liked Whole Lot of Red, even though it's divisive from Playboy Cardi. But really, the Larry June and Cardo Cruise USA went really hard for me personally. I would listen to it while I'm on my grind, while I'm up making green smoothies. Um, obviously, there's a bunch of dope shit that dropped like Griselda and, and all these other type of projects from, from those collectors. But really, for me personally, Larry June and Cardo's Cruise USA went super hard numbers. So my favorite new artist is this electro group called 53 Thieves. They're kind of on the up and up. So I suggest you check them out. And then also there's this rapper Flea who I found pretty interesting. Um, I think they're two artists to watch. So you can check them out. My favorite song of the year was a toss up between Party Next Door's Eye On It. Shout out to the West Indian King Party Next Door. He's half Trini like me. He's Trini in, from the yard. You know, that's... <sighs> I love Party Next Door. If you've ever been a roommate with me, you know I'm a Party Next Door stan. And then my other favorite song of the year came from Pure Born. Yo, Pierre, want to come out here? His song, Joe Morris, it went really hard. And I celebrated making the most money I've ever made in my life to that song. So that's always going to be one of my favorite songs ever. My guilty pleasure song of 2020 was Pop Smoke and Little J's. Uh, <laughs> was Pop Smoke's Mood Swings. There's a really, really hilarious video of this new york dude dressing up like spider-man and dancing to it and if you're anywhere in the new york city area that you would just hear that on the radio and, and people bumping it out of their cars another song too was uh favio foreign's Weddy. again another crazy song i think i spent too much time in east new york these last couple two three years shout out to uh, brownsville because 
I don't know why uh, those two cats were on my list. R.I.P. Pop Smoke. My favorite music video was Bryson Tiller's Always Forever, probably because him and Kalani look really cute in there. It reminded me of like 90s videos, but I also enjoyed uh, Jero's and BJ the Chicago Kids Joy. My favorite live show, I went to a play called Suicide Forest at ART New York Theaters in February. I was wearing a mask even then. It was a cool like set piece where they went and changed a lot of things and it was interactive. So I wanted to go to Lupe Fiasco's food and liquor tour, but that got canceled by COVID. So shout out to you if you're able to actually even go to any live shows in 2020 because uh, the panty took that away from us. Favorite new movie is Tiger Tail. Honestly, it it's not like the best film I've ever seen. I enjoyed it, but I didn't really watch that many new movies in 2020. Again, I was on that Criterion Collection to avoid the covid crowds you know what i'm saying like that was my flow so i went back and watched some classic movies i got a really awesome tv a sony bravia x900h uh mainly for gaming purposes and that's one of my favorite purchases and it's cool to watch classic films on there so that's what we're going to be doing that's the future of entertainment right like streaming services are going to be popping theaters probably won't be there until summer 2021 maybe hbo max is really trying to shift the model that's already kind of been you know disputed and going back and forth between the big studio execs your boy was not in theaters to go check tenant i haven't even seen tenant i heard it was kind of here and there so yeah get your sound bar get your tv situation together because if you're trying to <laughs> live a long prosperous life you will not be in the movie theaters for most of 2021 my favorite film experience speaking of you know binging and watching from home was definitely binging the matrix trilogy for the first time in two days so i had seen them in like bits and pieces here and there on i don't even know probably like random black box cable hbo back in the day uh, but it was cool to just really watch them for the f first time, one, two, and three, back to back to back. I love the Animatrix. I remember watching that on Adult Swim back in the day, and I think I got that on DVD. I was living in Harlem, and people just, like, get rid of stuff, so I I got a, inherited a huge box of DVDs from somebody moving out of my building. Yeah, it was cool. The Animatrix actually, like, ties it all together, so if you do like the Matrix trilogy, definitely watch the Animatrix, and I know Matrix 4 is on the way. My favorite book was the Moonlight screenplay book from A24. I definitely need to get back into reading a little more now that I'm freelance, but I love that book. It has an intro by Frank Ocean. It's designed pretty well. I had a couple, I was a little disappointed. The way that the photos are laid out, like again, Moonlight's a perfect film to me. I can remember things in so much detail from seeing it in theaters. So. The book splits some of the images down the middle, down the folds, so it, it is a little awkward to look at, but altogether, I would say it's an uh, amazing book. If you're a Moonlight fan, you should copy it. I was just hoping that it would be like next level transcendent like the film was. The book almost is there. It has a really cool open by Frank Ocean. A24's Moonlight screenplay book is my favorite book purchase of the year. Favorite comic, manga, animated, anime series is the new Pokemon series, Pokemon Journeys, the series. It's, it's pretty good. My favorite dining experience of the year was probably the lobster roll and seafood I had at Nan Nancy's Restaurant in Martha's Vineyard in Oak Bluffs. So I liked it so much I got it a couple times. It was probably like one of my only outdoor dining experiences of the year, which is crazy. My favorite app is Clubhouse, even though... <laughs> 
<laughs> even though we know it's like an up and down experience it can be crazy on there but shout out to the, all the people i met on clubhouse really really cool people like-minded people i've gotten so many gems and games like there's a, a good side and bad side you know light and dark side like like anything but clubhouse really is extremes it can either be extremely trash and cringy like the moon room or it can be amazing like some of the music rooms or investment rooms or plant rooms that i've been in and learned so much from so clubhouse has been great and it's, it's helped me because i live alone it's great to have connection and and not have to be on screen all the time so shout out to clubhouse my favorite purchase was the ps5 again we're going to talk deeply about gaming in the second segment but i grinded so hard to get that ps5 and it was nuts I'll, I'll talk a little bit more at the end about the ps5 and what it means personally for me to be able to have a system at launch essentially my favorite footwear purchase of the year came late it was the nike vapor waffle sakai tour yellow stadium green colorway i'm a big sneakerhead, and i saw the sakai's on foot of someone this year and was super super jealous and i usually never get that jealous over people's kick game because i have some grail level kicks i took an l on the sneakers app like everybody so i ended up getting it on resale on stock x but got it as a gift so yes my favorite footwear purchase of the year and my proudest moment was working for myself full-time doing the cash out refinance of my house surviving 2020 in general my lowest low was family members passing from covid election and brutalization of black body stress seeing manhattan lower manhattan shut down it's just been crazy to see nyc's kind of rebounded but the energy is just you know different it was if you were anywhere near New York during the crisis of the virus, I mean, it's still an ongoing crisis. The cases are still out of control. It's still spiking now, but just it's just different if you stayed here. Um, and another low low was the stress associated with refinancing my house. It was so many delays, so much BS. Again, I was enduring structural racism. It was a lot of bullshit I was going through. And also managing nine to five work from home burnout while doing freelancing it was it was whew, 2020 we all glad that we were able to punt it away and now we refresh in 2021 i just want to do a couple more highlights the most amazing internet experience for me was twitter dialogue around the last dance because it was so epic it was just you know i was young when the 90s bull run happened like you know i wasn't really cognizant for all of it i remember seeing watching the utah jazz series and like the the last chip but it was crazy just to go back and learn i mean i had played nba i think it was 2k 13 that went back and did like the jordan mode so a lot of those moments i actually learned from playing 2k later so that's for millennials and especially gen z who didn't see him play at all like the last dance was everything. Least amazing internet experience was just seeing the COVID death total charts and updates from the city of New York. I used to work for the city. So you, in the mayor's office, you would get like alerts and it was really just jarring to see the numbers and like 10, 11, 12, 1, between 10 and 1, 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. You get these alerts from the city of New York and it was just nuts. That's how I was like really staying informed of what was going on, just how severe it was. And it was traumatic you know especially in the winter time through spring favorite viral video was dogface sipping that cranberry juice i'm glad that he was able to secure the bag as well i just loved his level of joy there's also this 
video of a black man in Buffalo talking about reform the police and what it means. I can't even track it down, but it was so amazing. I'm going to try and like link to it in the actual post. Favorite viral moment overall was black people getting their powers on December 21st and the madness there and how funny that was. Also, I love out of context Dr. Umar Johnson videos. Early versus battles were a thing. Early versus like before the, the Apple sponsorship and everything like were everything. I just just love the vibe and, and the music. You know, Beanie Man was, and Buju was everything like so crazy. And my favorite quotes of the year were defund the police and justice for Breonna Taylor, both attributed to the people. So I want to talk about being a broke kid or growing up a broke kid. I'm not broke no more and getting the PS5. Right. And what that personally means for me. So I was a kid like I remember, man, like playing Astros Playroom especially that game on ps5 it really goes back and goes through the history of having a playstation console my first ever video game console was the sega genesis in november of 94 when i turned five years old you know i'd been out on the market but technic technically playstation had just came out so i know the sega was probably on discount and that's how i got it as like a five-year-old right so i ended up getting ps1 whenever NBA Live 98 came out, and that's with the Tim Hardaway cover. So that means that it probably was Christmas 97. And I remember that my mom and stepdad at the time had gone to Caldor to buy it, throwback. So I remember like them putting it on layaway and being broke. It was it was like ingrained in my memory. I remember I wanted the Croc game. Um, <laughs> it was a thing like, you could walk into a store and get it, you know, especially because it had came out and I'd been out for a few years by the time I was able to get it and my mom was able to afford it when I was a kid. So PS2, I remember begging for that shit. I was in like sixth grade and I was a great student, right? So I got that year all A's, but I was getting like threes for effort. Like that's the lowest effort rating you could get. So some of my teachers were fronting on me being like, yeah, he's, he's getting like top grades, but I know he could be doing more effort. He's like rushing through assignments. So I had to like argue with my mom and be like, yo, you told me if I got all A's, not A's and B's, if I got all A's, I could get the PlayStation. But she still wasn't trying to get it for me because my effort was like not one. It was so crazy. Like the, the, the standards were so crazy to get a console because we didn't have money growing up you know like that's what's been craziest for me to see with this ps5 process like families of privilege are buying their kids like five six consoles throughout their like nieces and nephews like it means a lot for me growing up a broke boy to be able to get a console within the first month that it came out so i didn't pre-order it i lost a lot of fucking sleep trying to secure it but i secured it two days before christmas it it came in from uh, Walmart and I was able to cop it. So that was definitely the highlight. It's been fire. I'm going to be making a lot of content with the PS5. I might even do a couple cool Reels videos that I have planned around it. But that plus the TV I bought specifically for it. I basically changed my whole living room around for this PS5. I had to buy a new media console but it's good anyway because, you know, I've been in survival mode. I just had a whatever TV that I bought. It was barely, it was it was like it's Insignia, whatever Best Buy brand was cheapest at the time. 
when it was time for me to buy my PS4 in 2015. So in 2015, I bought my PS4 and it had been out for like two, three years. The PS3 gen, I just completely skipped because I was in college and I was busy. Homies had PS3 or it was just in and around anywhere that I like live. We just happened to have a PS3. So I played 2K during that time. I played God of War, but I didn't really play that many games until my cousin gifted me his PS3. He's a super, super, super hardcore Sony fan. And I went back and played a lot of stuff. So this is the first time that I have a lot of time because I work for myself and I can play and I can stream and I can make content. So I did all that so I could have a really excellent conversation with Mike Tony and be well-versed about this year's games. I still need to cop a Switch though. Still need to do that. Maybe we're going to wait for the Switch Pro. But I'm well-versed in the game of the year conversation and me and Mike Tony had a super, super, super long debate about it. So I hope you respect it. You can send us comments at Jordan underscore Martins. He's at Mike Tony Design. And let us know your thoughts. If this, if you're listening on YouTube right now, do not give us dislike just because we had a slightly different take on a game than you did. We we looked at it from all angles, from like bird's eye view, and really thought in depth about our choices. So just because you disagree, don't be a troll and hit me with that dislike because I will come find you and beat you up. Not playing. But yeah, I, I feel like we had a really well-versed discussion and I'm excited. Again, like games journalism was like the first thing that I've ever been super excited about and I've never really done it on, a, on, on this scale. So it's cool to have this in-depth conversation about gaming because I'm a lifelong lover of gaming, as you've heard. So enjoy the conversation with me and Mike Tony Design. My audio for part of the Mike Tony segment was a little iffy. Um, our portion was recorded through Zoom. We do these little video clips that are fun to share. Again, Jordan underscore Martins on Instagram TV. Um, it's also on the at Screens and Rhymes feed on Twitter. But we're going to be sharing like videos and little highlights from our conversations. So I record that on Zoom. But part of doing that was why we had some of the difficulties. So I spent like... <laughs> I don't even know, like an ungodly amount of hours on Zoom throughout this panty, probably like 600 to 700 hours, honestly. And I've done some Zoom consulting and done events and online events. So I know Zoom really well, but shit happens, you know. I'm sure you've heard it with a bunch of podcasts that you're listening to. Endure together, a heart refusing to fail, overcome the odds, headband of hope, haiku. All right, so we got a special guest in the building. Once again, the homie Mike Tony Design. He is back, and we are going to talk about our game of the year candidates, who we chose. And what I want to do first is just kind of run through what the actual game of the year debate was. Um, say what up to the people, Mike. Hey, what's up? Mike Tony back again, and I'm ready for this chat. This shit has been... We've had a lot of discussions, right? Right, first to get into this. We see it differently, which is great. Pretty aligned, but, you know, we diverge in different places. We play a lot of Ghost of Tsushima together online. This year, we played the Division 2 a lot online as well. Um, maybe we'll drop our gamer tags at some point. Maybe on social, I'll drop it. I don't feel like really dropping it here. But if you're ill at Ghost of Tsushima, that's why. Because I, I hate playing with people. You get to the 25th level of survival nightmare. <laughs> And then motherfuckers want to, you know, 
waste the drum, the healing drums on round one. That's how I know we're not going to win. <laughs> so we'll talk about the amazingness that is Ghost of Tsushima multiplayer the other day because I'm on chapter two of the raid. But I want to start off by just going through the actual Game Awards nominees for the game of the year. And then I want to just kind of give my breakdown of what I thought um, deserved for both categories. This is also really an interesting conversation because there's a lot of uh, conversation around the idea of crunch. And, um, you know, I, I started doing music journalism, but my first love was gaming journalism. That's what, like, made me want to write. I think the first thing I ever wrote was, like, a review for Prince of Persia PS2 on the, like, forums for EB Games or some shit. So I, like, really, really love game journalism, and I love where it's at now where we can cover games like The Last of Us 2, but do it with a critique. So I wanted to shout out a lot of editors who are talking about the crunch. Um, yeah, we're, I'm going to have a whole other segment on just Cyberpunk. I haven't been playing Cyberpunk because it's too buggy. But I just want to let you know that we're going to be covering gaming. And hopefully I'm going to get some really dope gamers on. All right. So the game of the year conversation, the nominees were Animal Crossing, Hades, Ghost of Tsushima, the Last of Us 2, Final Fantasy 7 Remake. So our conversation will really center on 7 Remake, which we enjoyed, but, you know. It wasn't the game of the year. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I'll say that. As someone, as you know, I hyped up. Now, we won't get into it because I know as soon as we talk Final Fantasy, bro, it's it's we're going to go for, for forever. So Yeah, and I'm going to obviously jump at the neck of uh, <laughs> 15. So, so see, 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 see how charged Mike is already ready to hop yeah. out of his seat to talk about remake but yeah so we're gonna focus really on seven remake the last of us two and ghost of shima but first i just want to give love to animal crossing because i feel like that was spiritually the game of the year it helps a lot of people i don't personally own a switch but i definitely know people who are loving animal crossing and you know it's it's helped a lot of people so shout out to animal crossing for helping people connect during a difficult time for sure so i think it was actually deserving of of um some love in the game of the year conversation. It didn't actually win anything at the game awards. Really? I don't think. Do you want to talk about Hades? Because I know Hades was interesting as well. And before you do that, I just want to say that their studio has a great like anti crunch policy where they force people to take vacation. So I just want to uplift that, that they're very pro developer and people's health and wellness, which we know is not a big part of the game industry. Again, the game industry is actually bigger than the music and movie industry combined. So the stakes and the money is really high, but they don't really treat developers well. So just talk a little bit about, I know you didn't personally really play Hades, but you played games from that studio. Yeah, I was going to say, so I like a lot of stuff that comes from Supergiant. I've played Bastion, Transistor, both of which, first and foremost, I thought the stories were great. Both of these games have been out for a long time, so I am going to spoil them. Transistor in particular. We will be giving spoiler warnings for other games All the games, well. yeah, for sure. Transistor, I thought was a beautiful game. You know, at a certain point, you find out that the sword that she's been using to do these puzzles and to fight these enemies is actually like her love, you know, and then, and like, he's kind of by her side, kind of helping her or she's using him to like get through all these puzzles and to kind of get this revenge. And uh, I just thought it was a really well done game. The, the artistry of it, the game mechanics, just super fun. I haven't played Hades yet. And I'm, su I'm not surprised that it's up for game of the year. I've played Bastion twice. The, the soundtrack for Bastion is phenomenal. The transistor is great too, but Bastion has like that old school kind of 
rugged Western feel. And I used to watch a lot of Westerns with my dad. And so it combines so many different things for me. So I'm not surprised that Hades is up there as an artist. A bunch of artists are doing a lot of things for the Hades game. So all the artwork and everything that I've seen has looked phenomenal for it. It's right up my alley. Some of my favorite artists have been covering and doing a lot of cool stuff for it. So though I haven't played it yet, I have a lot of high hopes for it. You know, I'd liken it to something like coming out by from Rockstar. You know what I mean? Like, I know it's not going to drop below a certain level of quality. And because they they really prioritize, it's going to sound weird uh, because it's the three pillars, but they really prioritize, you know, telling a strong, concise story, making sure that game is fun, and then finding their art direction and sticking to it. So it all feels very cohesive, even though the game's... Um, tend to be smaller games you know they're not super long games that you play through um but they do they do always feel robust like i just bastion just felt like such a big robust game even though it was very quick same thing for, with transistor so i do plan on playing hades at, at some point yeah when i get my own switch i'll definitely pick up hades but i think it's actually going to come to different platforms as well as you can see if you're watching any type of video from this feed i just copped the ps5 miles morales was up for some categories miles morales is dope but it's a 10 hour game so i don't really consider it of the same ilk i'm enjoying it especially playing in performance rt mode or ray tracing it looks amazing but you know it's basically just an extension of spider-man ps4 so uh wasn't game of the year material for me but i'm really enjoying it and i might actually stream it because um i'm i'm pretty good at web slinging and making it look cool from all those years of Spider-Man 2, two yeah. PS2, if y'all know that, if y'all real gamers. The categories that I voted for the Game Awards. So I voted for Ghost of Tsushima as my personal game of the year, my player's voice choice, best narrative, and best action-adventure game. Um, Last of Us 2, I voted for best game direction, best audio design, best performance by a vocalist, Ashley Johnson, aka Ellie. Again, asterisk on the best game direction, Kotaku ran a really, really great article about how part of game direction is actually the completion of the project and project management, and there was a shit ton of mandatory crunch to get The Last of Us 2 done. So I actually love that distinction, and shout out to Kotaku for talking about that and having hard conversations about Last of Us 2. Um, in Final Fantasy VII Remake, I believe they were the best score in music and best role-playing game. All right, cool. So we're going to get into the real game of the year conversation and we're going to make the case for Final Fantasy VII Remake, the case for The Last of Us 2, and the case of Ghost of Tsushima. And if we're being honest, we can't even fully make a case for Final Fantasy no. VII Remake. Spoiler alert, if you have not played Final Fantasy VII Remake, again, it is derivative of Final Fantasy VII. Derivative is a key word that's almost a spoiler right there. I actually didn't play the original Final Fantasy VII. I witnessed other people play it when I was younger. Um, I downloaded it get and planned to play through it fully. I went back and watched a lot of lore videos. Mike is super into it. He played Crisis Core. But I went back and watched all of the compilation that Final Fantasy VII Remake kind of took the bits and pieces from. Again, if you have not played Final Fantasy VII Remake, you can click ahead to... 53 minute 20 second mark in order to hear about last of us 2 or you can click ahead to 93 minute mark aka one hour 33 minutes in order to hear about ghost of shishima so final fantasy 7 remake 
So for me, I gave it a, 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 a solid four out of five, right? I'm just going to make the numbers case, right? From a sales perspective, it did in the, I believe, five million range, which is well below what they projected. Actually, it might have done less than five million. Final Fantasy 15 did crushed the numbers of Final Fantasy 7 Remake. I just said Final Fantasy 7 15 and Mike just shuddered and threw up everywhere. Like, I don't know if you saw my whole body tense up. <laughs> uh his body went into stasis as soon as that I happened. Just, I can't even get behind that unfinished game. Well, I'm going to give you like two minutes at some point just to talk about Final Fantasy 15 because this guy can go 10 hours about how you're so disappointed with that game. Yeah, just from a sales perspective, it wasn't as strong as some of uh, other Square IPs, like even 15. So that's actually going to affect the development cycle because it didn't do as well. It was originally envisioned as like a three-part, multi-part series. Since the first game didn't do as well, they might actually condense the second and third chapters into like one game. So a lot of the complaints I had about this game, honestly, I don't know if it'll be addressed in the next game because they're going to be doing crazy shit with the story unless they make that game super long. All right. So for perspective, I platinum the game, probably put in 100 plus hours, beat it on hard mode, did all the VR bonus fights. So I put a lot of time into the game. I love the combat. The story just really fell off a cliff after about chapter 15. And they were really condensing and crutching so much in. And I love Nomura. I'm a Kingdom Hearts is probably my favorite game series. So I'm not going to sit here and shit on Tetsuya Nomura, who gave us some of the most iconic designs in Final Fantasy. It's actually Kitase who is going and advocating for the use of the ghost in that story arc, right? Like, a lot of people say, oh, Nomura kind of broke the game because the ending is crazy with the whispers of fate and breaking fate. It kind of, like, gets into this weird end of Evangelion, <laughs> like, space, but isn't even that smart. That's not Nomura. Like, we're not here to shit on Nomura. So I, I don't really want to get a lot of hates from people, so I'm putting a lot of these disclaimers out while we're having this conversation. So for me, things that knocked it down was definitely the story and pacing. And we'll, we'll go deep into that because I know that's like the main qualm. You didn't have this issue, but I had this issue when I was playing. Some of the textures were not smooth when I was playing. So if you go into a shop, if you look behind the door, or if you look at a character's mouth, their jaw would be all over the place. I'm sorry, for a AAA game, for a Final Fantasy VII game where people play for the graphics, we should not be seeing these issues. And they only released one patch. The game's been out almost a full year now. It's on sale. They only released one patch, and that was to fix a glitch in the Shinra building when you're going through the vents. It actually happened to me when I was doing um, New Game Plus on hard. You can get stuck in the vents, and you have to restart the chapter all over again. So for a big AAA title game, again, it's not cyberpunk level like breaks or anything like that, but you know, loving Final Fantasy X and classic Square Enix games, even though I, you know, I didn't like parts of Kingdom Hearts, it was not a broken game. So to see elements of a Final Fantasy VII game that were broken or unsmooth textures, I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? Again, little things because the games, the competition was so stacked that, you know, little things like that had to knock it down. I just want to show the deluxe edition gear too that I got. So fans, <laughs> shut up. I bought the deluxe edition with the art book, okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you came in fully and, and you fully, you played it completely. Um, especially as someone who... You know, I have the emulator on my computer. I have, um, you know, I have Final Fantasy VII on my phone, right, um, uh, through the App Store. 
Uh, I've played it multiple times. Um, <clears throat> Final Fantasy VII is probably one of my all-time favorite games, partially because of nostalgia, partially because of what it introduced to JRPGs at the time. Um, uh, what Square and Enix did at that time, um, before it was Square Enix, and just having... Um, you know, fully rendered textures, JPEGs in the background, and then having the characters move over it. You know, that was a that was one of the first times you had like a studio kind of really doing that, and making it feel like there was so much more depth in the game. I think some of these Japanese games sometimes get into this real wild storytelling. And even though Final Fantasy VII is a kind of a wild story in general, there's a lot of different pieces to it. I felt playing it as a younger person, I got it. You know, I got Geneva and the aliens and I got the ancients of the planet and I got a lot of that stuff and all that stuff kind of keyed in for me for a lot of the fantasy that I liked. I'm, I'm a big fan of Final Fantasy series in general. And, you know, seven, nine, 10 are ones that I, I really enjoy. And I even like 12, even though it was kind of like a very blah kind of blank state, blank slate kind of a situation. But, you know, for Final Fantasy seven remake, I had to kind of like pull back from all my love that I kind of had for the game. I'm going to be honest, man, pulling into Midgar, like, you know, having Cloud jump out at Midgar, like there's just a feeling, right? You shed the tears. It's okay. I, I was just hit. Like, you know, when I played that game, my brother was still alive. I'm the youngest on my dad's side. So it was one of the first games that my brothers actually sat down and watched me play. So anybody who has older siblings, you know that like you don't, let your little brother don't play games he plays on the remote that's not plugged in you don't watch him play games and this isn't a game that they would normally play but they loved watching me play because all of the summons and the different things that were happening and the characters were swearing and the whole night there was just so much that the game was doing i just want to pause you for a sec they were really genius with their marketing too and they they did like a whole the equivalent of an OVA, but it was actually like live action, like real people talking about how they saw that same experience. They know that. I love that they knew that there were fans like me who who was too young to play it, but saw other people yeah. play it. And then people like you who played with your siblings and it was a communal thing. And they were like that feeling of whatever that the mark that marketing hit was huge because it it touched so many different aspects. Exactly like you said there were kids that were too young that hadn't played it that watched and they were like they 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 it was in their very early memory, but it's also, it, you know, you had to read it all too. And it was very complex. Yeah. I mean, it's a part of culture. Yeah. Like the era scene, everybody's seen. They made classic yeah. mode just to be able for older people who played the original, who were in like their twenties or something to be able to play now. That's why they did the easy mode with, with without the combat. The, the classic mode. Yeah. And, and um, they, they, there was just so much that they, they did with the game that when I started analyzing it, I had to pull away from a lot of that stuff because emotionally it was a fucking big game for me. Right. You know, as I'm playing it, I'm like, I love this game. This is, I'm like, this game is perfect. It's perfect for me. It's a perfect, it was a perfect um, meld of something new. Right. And, and this is early in the game. So this is before the ghosts and the wisps and stuff like that. Sorry. I want to yeah. interject just because I don't want any hate. When I say no combat, I meant turn-based combat. I don't yeah, want yeah, no yeah, yeah. turn-based combat. There was combat, but it was turn-based combat. That was for the classic in the in the uh, easy mode. Yes. Um, and you know, I'm playing this game, and I'm like, yo, this is it. Like the combat, and I had the demo I was playing, but you know, they expounded on the demo, the way you were moving around and you were going through everything. We were hype when that demo dropped, bro. Oh my god. I'm like, dog, this shit. It's just, it, it was just crazy that how much they were able to do. And then the fact that you were kind of jumping between him and Barrett and, you know, I know I'm going to get my two minutes to talk about 15, but 
the fact that you couldn't do we that. We might have to do a whole spinoff podcast, bro. We might have to do a whole spinoff. In the game, the game was just absolutely incomplete. And seeing this game made me fucking feel that with the different magics that you can use and all the other yeah. stuff that was kind of in there. And then, you know, when it got to the there's a there's a guy in the slums of Midgar. Um, and and this was a part of the original game that was incomplete. There were a lot of issues with the original game. There was weird translations and stuff like that. There were like um, chests and stuff that I spent hours trying to figure out. There's like a key, I think, in Calm that you can't get for the box because like the developers put it in there, but then they forgot to like put a key or whatever. And then so you just can't get it, get anything for it. There's a dude. That's the charm of the 90s JRPG of those games. And there's a, there's a, um, a guy that's sick in the slums of Sector 7 or something like that or Sector 6 or something. And in the translation is I are sick. And like there was a, there was a, like you couldn't really do any, it, it seemed like it was giving you a quest, but you couldn't really do anything with it. And they actually did something like that in the game. Oh, in Wall Market? In the game where the dude's sick and you don't quite know and you come to figure out that he's like one of these failed clone kind of things. Um, but like that's the IR, that, that's like the IR sick guy, you know, that they're, they're, they're showing you. So there was so much that they were connecting. And then I started seeing these wisps and I'm like, okay, like this wasn't in the original game, but I'm sure they're trying to add some shit to like spruce it up. And that was basically where they had kind of lost me because they didn't do the wisp lightly. Like they brought them in on such of these major moments that it really fucked up the pacing. I even think for new people who were playing it and then for people who had, you know, played it years ago, who basically had every beat down. Um, they were just kind of tossing them in at these kind of weird times and almost making it all about the wisp instead of like, I would have rather, you know, the wisp kind of come in and, you know, honestly be like this secondary ghostly character that would change destiny. I didn't need like 50 million of them flying around and then you trying to fight it and do this, that, and the other thing. It just got, and they weren't fun fights either. It was like, it was it was just kind of repetitive too. It did, they, were, they were they were they were they were laborious for no reason. It wasn't like they did it in a way where they were almost like boss fighty, where you had to figure out a system in which you can beat them. You know what I mean? It was like they respond to magic, so like you got to do stuff and hit them with magic. And, and what's weird is there's other ghosts characters in the game too, and they play like they don't even fight the same. Like the that ghost chapter. Yo, the one in the the one in the train yard, that was fire. Yeah, the train yeah. yard. If they would have made it even similar to that, but the whispers are like, it- yeah, they, they, I, I just felt like they, like you said earlier, it wasn't necessarily a smart way of handling it. But the thing that like I liked about that is the more you played the game and you kind of watch the stuff. And I said this to you when I was playing it, and it ended up springing into a wider theory of that, like Aerith has been there before, Sephiroth has been there before, just yep. because of the way they were talking. So we're doing the theory crafting yeah. spinning, but a lot of this has actually been confirmed by... Actually, that's the other weird thing. Nomura, Kitase, the developers, they don't want to say what's actually happening. They don't want to confirm or deny. Non-committal about the role of the whispers or like... I feel like they still don't know what they're doing. And that's scary. And they introduce... Yeah, like when they talk about it, they're not in line. If you listen to um, the Ultimate Edition interviews that they do, there's translations you can check them out but they don't seem like they're on the same page kitase and no more about the direction of the whispers of fate specifically and i'm hoping that like they're trying to do a misdirection thing because so many people have caught on to certain stuff and i i don't mm-hmm. i don't i think when they did the marketing push whoever was doing the marketing stuff clearly was a fan of the game 
because it came from like the heart of the fans and stuff. But I don't think they understood how much people played that fucking game and remembered it beat for beat that all those little things that Aerith was saying and doing it just it was just close enough and just off, you know, that people were going to pick up like she knows Cloud. She's met him before. She's saying certain things that were like, you know, that you were just kind of like if you've been playing the game a bunch of times, you're like, yo, it, it kind of just sounds like she's been here before. So I played it in hard mode and I went back and I looked specifically for that. Like hard mode is it's like new game plus it's it's not. I don't love hard mode either. I did it just because I wanted to clear the VR missions and, and platinum the game to be able to say this and shut fans up when we didn't give it a perfect score. But when you go back to specifically with the, with the kids who are dressed like Moogles. Yeah, uh, I, where Aerith is from. And you got a slide to the back area. Yeah. Exactly. So when you're there, you see a clone of Sephiroth uh, or Jenova, whatever. Whenever the, the hooded figure yep. who comes. One of the failed comes people. by. Yep. And, and there's a moment of dialogue that really reveals that she's from the future. Yeah. As she's from a different like timeline. That's, that's what I kind of think that they're, yep, yep. that they're kind of harking on. Well, they, they definitely are because so in post game, you know, Zach is alive. You yeah. play crisis core. You could really speak to this, but for me, you know, I didn't play the original, but I went back and watched a shit ton of videos to kind of just crisis core. And then all the other games, they're servers. I went back and I watched cutscenes. That's the other piece too, that ultimately the compilation isn't exactly canon, right? So there's like, this is supposed to canonize a lot of these and they're trying to like pick and choose. There's parts of the compilation that people really, really hate. So they, they're taking some parts of the compilation, but they're very like non-committal. Even the fin final fight, I didn't fully watch Advent Children. I'm gonna go back and watch it and play the original, but the final fight looks like an Advent Children yeah. scene, right? Like. The, like the major wisps and stuff like that that they had to fight in the different ones i just felt like they, they, dude there 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 were a lot of different things that i even leading up to that where there are little pieces that you can tell that the game you talked about crunch that wasn't fully that earlier you talked about crunch and i felt like this was kind of a little bit of a result of that there's a moment where when sector i don't know it's one of the upper plates falls down yep Oh my God, you were so upset. I remember when I got to that point. The plate falls down and then all of a sudden they show Kate Sith and like with no fucking context. And I'm like, dog, like no context, no nothing. And technically he's not even supposed to be like, I mean, I guess he could have been there and they're going to try to roll that in. But it was just like even other people who had watched it or whatever, or if they were watching me play the game, it's just kind of like. It was comical. People it broke the scene. People were like, well, who, what the fuck is that cat? Because they were showing all realistic art styles. And then you see Kate Sith. And you're just like, yo, like, what the fuck was that? Then like, you can tell that that was meant to be something larger. Roche, the dude on the bike, like you fight him, he comes yes. back and you're just like, well, he clearly had a bigger role. He, he was saying after the fight in chapter four or five, I'll see you again. I think there was actually supposed to be another Roche fight, and that would have been dope. Roche was a new addition. I give them props yeah. for adding him. That was some of my favorite parts of the game, and they they just didn't have Roche. Roche should have been in the Shinra building. Like, he, I mean, he he could have easily been that last fight, like before they go off. Yeah. Uh, you know, basically where the game ends now. Yeah, on, on the highway is uh, in the original. That was where the game opens up to the wider world. But then you go out mm -hmm. and then you basically are just like that. That's when the game becomes a sandbox and you can go to all your different towns and everything else like that. And so like up until that point, Final Fantasy seven is somewhat a linear game because you, you know, you're in this city. You can only go to certain paths and stuff like that. 
that's basically where the game opens up to be like an open world game entirely. So this is what I want to focus on. Really, like, especially when we're playing Last of Us 2 and Ghost of Tsushima, like, Last of Us 2 has some of it that's open world, like the downtown Seattle part. Ghost of Tsushima is an open world game. I wasn't expecting Sandbox from Final Fantasy VII Remake, but the way it was marketed and sold, and honestly, my favorite parts of the game is Cloud ex- ex- uh, exploring the upper plates solo. I feel like they could have leaned into that a little more. But they literally do the hallway thing where they lead you down a particular hallway and there's no open exploration. Like, that's like half the game. You're you're going down a hallway. And- I would say you're being generous, man. That is the whole game. I mean, like it literally, even when you're going into the towns, like you're, you're in Aeris town and stuff like that. Um, it really, I mean, yeah, you're exploring the town, but it really is like, it's, it's very pipe-like. So in every place you go to, it's ultimately like a pipe. Like even when you go into the Shinra building, you get a little bit of open space to kind of go around, but everything is like pushing you like through a whole pipeline to kind of go through. And I was, I was, I was hoping that there, it was very similar to the original, but because of the computing power and the things that we have more, I thought you might've been able to explore more buildings. It would feel like more like you're exploring more of a city, but it it didn't. I mean, I just want to, like even in mm-hmm. gameplay right so when you play on hard mode you can go back and do things and you have all your abilities bro you cannot you can only summon leviathan leviathan and bahamut you cannot summon outside of the vr battles maybe there's one or two battles in the entire game when you're facing uh one of the bonus bosses basically for extra items can you use the large-scale summons so the game was so poorly designed for open exploration that you can only use summons in very specific areas. So that's one of my favorite game parts of Final Fantasy. Right now I'm still playing Final Fantasy VIII. I played 10. I played other games. Summons is like half of why I love playing Final Fantasy because it's fucking badass when you can do it. So the fact that I could only use Ifrit or Chocobo Chick or, you know, smaller summons was really disappointing to me because I wanted to see... I didn't expect to be able to do it everywhere, but like, What's the point of getting Leviathan if I can only use him in fucking two battles? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I agree, and that was one of the cool things about some of the early Final Fantasies is that um, <clears throat> you you did have that opportunity to be like, look, I, I want to run through these cats. Let me use my summons. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can do that. I, I I see why they do it now in some of this some of these games. You know what I mean? They did it in Final Fantasy 15 too where like your health had to be mad low and then you could only use it on certain bosses because then niggas would like abuse it all the time if it was connected to magic. Bro, we're going to have to do a whole spinoff on 15, bro. We, we can't even do 15 here, bro. Because I think there's so much, it's, it's so close to it, it's so connected to it. When we talk about why we love 16 and why 16 has all of the promise of like the most essential mainline Final Fantasies, I'm looking forward to 16 so much. I bought a TV that goes to 120 frames per second because i'm hoping that final fantasy 16 will take advantage of that because we play final fantasy for the graphics yeah oh sure. any closing notes on seven remake i felt that there were like once if you played the game by itself it was a great game it was entertaining i agree with your you know the solid four stars uh my love for it will probably have me give it a four and a half um the pipeline stuff wasn't necessarily that much of an issue but when you're playing other games and you're seeing what these next gen games are doing you have to compare it to that and say you could have done a little bit more um and the only reason why it gets that bump in the that 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 half bump is because of how much i love the series and how much i truly believe 
that they gave us something that was the same and also different. And I thought that that was a really, really hard task. Anytime you see remakes, people always tend to have issues. And to be honest, if they didn't include the Wisps, people would have been like, they loved the game. It was perfect because it was spot on and it was giving us new stuff. And to be honest, Aerith could have come from the future without having the Wisps because she's connected to the ancients. Like it could... It didn't necessarily need that and it could have been that. Um, that little half bit, honestly, it's like a phantom half, you know. <laughs> it's a wisp half? Yeah, it's a wisp half because, you know, I have to give the other two games. They It can't be close to the other two games. It really cannot. Comparatively, in another year, I would have bumped it up higher. But if I have to really, and you'll see when we get, it's going to be a heated debate on these next two. They're so fun. We, like, the biggest winner period was PlayStation owners, right? Because we really got fire exclusives all year. And even Miles Morales is fucking dope. Like, I, I got four really amazing games in a pandemic with all these delays. Like, PS4 was top tier console. And, and that's why the PS5 was in demand even in a pandemic. Yeah, the <laughs> the last thing on the Whispers of Fate is some of them said that it represented the voice of the fans. Which makes sense. I understand why they did that. Um, my biggest worry is the way that they crunched out the story for uh seven like the second half and it felt really uneven or like the last third they're gonna have to crunch a lot of story into one game for the next game because they were trying to do a two or three part you could see the way that they were pacing it right you were saying the calm becomes the open world in the actual game think of how much story they're gonna have to condense into one game and now i'm worried about where they're gonna go because they changed so much and they have so much to do in the future so honestly i don't know if they can do it I, I hope that they don't try. I think this should be... It's because of sales, though. Because yeah. sales... So, sales in the mainline Final Fantasy. Like, Final Fantasy X did well. X-2 sold at, like, a, uh, two-thirds or half of that. So, if they're using sales data... Yeah. 7 Remake 2 or whatever it's going to be called is not going to sell as well. So, that, that that's my worry. That's Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely not. Because it, it's like... any It's like click-through rates and everything else. That There tends to be a drop-off. You know, mm-hmm. there are people who bought it who are like, oh, I don't know, this still isn't, you know, my kind of game. I mean, we're showing love. There's people who hated that shit, man. Yeah, I mean... Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I, they made like 100 million, like, mm-hmm. afterwards. So, after, like, operating Hoss or whatever and stuff like that, they made 100 million. To be honest, like... In my opinion, you know, as a whole, they made 300 million, right? And then, you know, gross, I think they gross revenue might have been like 100 million or something like that. Yo, it took it took until August for it to hit 5 million. And Ghost of Tsushima did that shit in like, I think, a month or a couple months. Like, well, I think too, Final Fantasy itself was not everybody's cup of tea. Like, I had to yeah. tell my brother, I'm like, Doc, you got to get it. And he's like, for real, I'm like, yo, you used to watch me play the game and all the stuff that you liked about the game is in there and it's an action-based game. He's like, for real, I'm like, yeah, you would like it. Like, you you, you didn't play it before because you're not into JRPGs, but if you played it now, like, there's a component that is JRPG for us, like, loyal fans. Yep. And then there's the active, you know, time battle that is for new fans and stuff like that, and they would enjoy it. And I don't know if they were able to make that level of push. Um, there definitely is going to be a drop-off. My hope is that this becomes something that's more of a labor of love kind of a thing and it it builds brand loyalty so even if there's a drop off for particularly a third game that they do it right so that way at least the legacy of it ends in a certain way and that there is you know what i mean like they but they could also do a cop out of well the compilation is a continuation that's the thing that's yeah 
concerning that they're not really committing to a direction and they're saying that things aren't canon things are canon they haven't decided and we know the compilations were games were shaky you play probably the best ones but dirge of cerberus was trash yep. just i decided to just watch videos from it because i remember that being that, that one like uh <laughs> if rotten tomatoes was a thing back in the day it would have been like mad rated low yeah it would, it would have definitely been rotten but then you had stuff like uh you know crisis core i loved crisis core and and they 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 did it actively in the ending of crisis core Spo spoiler alert zach dies but that death was so fucking g and and to show that that's like how cloud got the sword and everything else like that like you know, which was passed down from Ganeel, like they're just, they're just, you know, the. Like but they're shitting on that with already with the end of of seven. Exactly. Remake. So that's so, that's all the. We'll see what happens. We're gonna have to do a whole another pod. We were only gonna do ten minutes on remake. We we crushed that just because we had so much to say. Now we gotta move on to our real game of the year contenders. Sorry, uh, JRPG fans. I love JRPGs. I'm uh, again. So so. So we code him for niggas don't come for me. I'm gonna let y'all know my favorite RPG. I put over a hundred hours into Dragon Quest 11, pre ordered that shit, love that shit. Um, Kingdom Hearts 3, I have equal hate for until the Remind DLC came out, body that shit on critical mode. Um, I love probably my favorite JRPG of the last couple of years was near Automata, which is fucking genius. Anyways, don't come for me. I have a uh, <laughs> damn, I'm, I'm gonna show it on screen. I'm gonna. If you don't have a Dragon yeah, Quest slime. slime, you feel me? From the Square Enix booth at E3 2018, don't talk to me about your JRPG fandom, son. Shout out to Akiri Toriyama. <laughs> the god. We out here, bro. The god. All right? We love JRPGs in these streets. Final, Final Fantasy VII Remake was not holding it down, and Dragon Quest is better. Wow. That's it. All right, let's hop into this. Would you want to start with Ghost of Tsushima or Last of Us? And with Ghost of Tsushima. So the case for The Last of Us 2, I'm just going to say it up front. Uh, so you gave a 4. I gave a 4 out of 5 to Final Fantasy VII Remake. You gave a 4.5. I gave A, a ghost point five. A, a, a wisp point yes. five. It's really a 4. I'll, gi I'll, I'll give it a 4. Last of Us 2 and Ghost of Tsushima, it was like splitting hairs. They're great for different reasons. There's going to be a debate. I gave Last of Us 2 4.75 out of 5. And we'll talk about why. Uh, Mike will talk about how that's his game of the year. I know because we debated so crazy yeah. about it. So, yeah. So, Last of Us 2. I love the game. There's really, really, really weird audiences that were mad about, you know, the trans things that were happening in there people of color all, all like censoring women there's a, a lesbian relationship there's people who are like oh well don't put social justice in my games you know dudes that drink mountain dew live in their mom's basement and have neck beards right like they that community was mad that's not why i was ultimately you know didn't make it my game of the year I love the level of detail. I played it on a base PS4. If the game wasn't so damn depressing, I would play it again on my PS5 with ray tracing because it probably looks fucking phenomenal. It had like almost no glitches. I noticed two very minor ones and I pointed out to Mike they were so minor for a world that was so, so, so immersive and, and, and sandbox, right? Uh, the issue for me was just some of the story and pacing thing. Like, I think they even probably put a little too much story in abby's parts i kind of want to fast forward through abby's parts of it and we'll talk about it um 
again because we had a major debate about this ultimately i understand why abby existed i just didn't appreciate the way that they did some of the the time reversal parts so you go spoiler alert by the way uh into the theater she shoots jesse and you go back into abby's story right i'm i'm not complaining necessarily about abby's specific story i'm not mad that abby killed joel whatever yeah i kind of am but doesn't color my my take on it what really upsets me is like i was enjoying the ellie part so much and it felt like a stealthy game and like the parts that i loved of last of us dlc afterwards when you played as ellie i would love playing as ellie and then when i played as as abby for like a good chunk of the game it almost felt like i played more as abby than ellie even though it probably was like equal just the abby parts dragged and it felt like uncharted to me while just going up and running up on niggas and when i would try to like be stealthy or play as like abby that's why i love the fight between abby and ellie because it shows their their differences i think it was so brilliant the way that the ai acted as ellie when i was forced to be abby and it was kind of repetitive and the same type of you know enemies were coming at me and popping out at walls like it, it didn't I, I get what they were trying to do, but I wish that they would have just, like, mixed it up a little more. It was just, like, too much Abby to point... I played it, like, on my birthday, too, where I was like, man, this is depressing. I'm not enjoying this. Can I just slog through this and get back to the Ellie? Like, it wasn't even... There's was also parts of the story, too, where I think that they could have just, like, cut out certain scenes that I wish kind of was DLC afterwards. Now... I'm complaining I sound like a crazy person because they gave us so much excellent base story in a game. I shouldn't be complaining, right? But I think for the pacing and benefit of the game, they could have removed certain elements and maybe done like an Abbey DLC where you're learning more about people on the base. I just, it felt like for how much Abbey they gave us, I wish they would have like dove more into the relationship that she had with Zev. Zev, yeah. So I wish like the Zev thing felt a little forced. I didn't really do it for me uh, certain parts of abby's story whether it was her relationship with her ex who i actually hated at the beginning but actually loved him by the end i thought he was probably the best character in the game honestly he had some of the realest ambitions like when right. you looked at him and you looked at the whole world or what everything was going on he felt real he probably had the realest ambitions out of anybody like i'm hitting a beach and i'm getting out of yeah. here like i'm you know so i'm gonna close out by saying i love the game it's excellent. I just think there were some pacing issues. The flashbacks didn't really work for me as much. As somebody who plays a lot of Uncharted, I played the whole collection a couple of years ago, front to back, one through four, played a ton of Uncharted online. Last of Us was so genius to me. The Abbey parts, I, I, I'm not, I, I don't know how to explain it because like, why am I expecting reality from a video game? But the rope physics were so real and parts of the Ellie story felt so real that when I was during Abby's parts, I'm like, okay, I'm just playing, a, I'm just Rambo right now, you know, like. I just wish they would have just had more variety. So that's my take on The Last of Us 2. And we'll talk more about the ending. Go ahead. So, yeah, I mean, The Last of Us 2, first and foremost, I love the original a ton. So much so that, like, when I'm at my day job, when I've been at my day job, you know, people will sometimes put shit up on the background to, like, watch and work. I actually will watch MK's um, Ice and Fire's, like, playthrough of it, like his eight-hour clean playthrough, because I love the story that much, right? I can't play it all the time, but I really enjoy just the relationship that's built there. Uh, and I think for a lot of people who had, had issues with The Last of Us 2, that was a big thing. There was so much foundational work that was done in the original that I will have to say too, that I really enjoyed playing as Ellie. Part of it is because there was so much history that was involved there. Before I get too much into it, like 
to me, this was a, it was nearly a perfect game. There definitely were some issues that I, you know, I had going through with it. You know, I rated as close to a five as I possibly can without rating at a five so 4.99 4.98 round up they can give um, a five then bro yeah so um well, well because there there were issues that i had in the game there were things that i had to overlook because i appreciated what the game was, was so what's a five out of five game for you then yeah for the most part just own the five bro because like you know it, it i agree it's at the top tier of game it's at the top tier, yeah. you know, but the things that I am going to bring up are going to be things. Well, why would you give it a five? Well, it's because there are times where we like, for example, we watch Spider-Man or whatever. Or we watch like a, a movie. We have to suspend belief, right, to enjoy it. So there's certain things that I felt like I had to suspend and and I which made me love the game. A ton. I love that you compared it to film, by the way, because it's more akin to film and they're actually going to do an HBO series. Like I can, I can go back. Like that's me watching the last of us one. I can go back and watch someone else play the last of us two and be entertained. Right. Someone who's not even that ill, just like playing the game, getting through, hitting the beats. But also the sandbox nature though. Like if you restarted, which I had to do, cause it's hard. You played it on a harder mode than me, but like, yeah. there's so many ways to play it that uh, my cousin is, is, is playing it right now. And I'm like, yo, did you go to the bank and get the shotgun? You know, you can miss that. Right. Like, I'm like, explore as much of downtown yeah. Seattle as you can, because that's only the only open world part of the game, and you can miss it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, dog, there were certain parts where they like, I love the mysteries and the secrets and stuff like that that they had in the game, and I'll, I'll, and I'll jump back into into that stuff. You know, I loved playing as Ellie. Uh, I, I think the the pinnacle of the game for me, right? And this is one of the things that I appreciate in almost all media that I see is people taking risk and when i saw the game initially and i was like okay first and foremost for the marketing they took the risk with the whole lesbian kiss knowing how toxic the video game community is because y'all let's be real like the video game community the art community is toxic as fuck that's why i'm putting all those disclaimers on here y'all niggas better chill exactly. the fuck out no hate comments no nothing because we're having well-versed conversations yeah. Well-versed conversations. I'm also not an internet thug. And if I am going to these cons and you, you know what I'm saying? You say something ass backwards to me. I'm going to have, I'm going to have words. Blog dog, Cause one day we go and meet. Exactly. Yeah. So, so as far as I'm concerned, um, yeah, like I, I, I keep all my speech off the internet, but if you want to talk to me in person, you know, uh, I'll be at these cons. The community is toxic as fuck. So when I saw that immediately, I'm like looking at the game, they show this gameplay, right? where she, this is when they first meet the scars and she's killing all these scars and shit and going through the cars. And I'm like, yo, this is gameplay. Like the physics, the movement, like it felt, it I, it, it moved out of the realm for video games for me, right? As close as you can like hop in with VR because the momentum, because the way it was scripted, it wasn't scripted using a lot of, um, a lot of movie scenes that you would kind of get caught into or like a, like um, animations. It was, it was situational. So if you watch other people play games, they're doing wild shit like setting off bombs and a bomb going off and Ellie killing a, a dismembered, like infected in midair. Like that's not scripted. It's that's a, like Breath of the Wilds and why it's so genius still because of the, the sandbox elements. Yeah, it's it, the way it's scripted is scripted based off of um, it's scripted based off of like dynamics. So it's not a lot of like animations that you get stuck into. That's why the game's momentum and just doing a lot of different things for real. That's why, you know, 
it's not like the Witcher's playthrough where we can play the game and get different endings or different playthroughs. We can play the game. The endings are going to be the same, but we can have very different playthroughs of the game simply because of the physics and how it was done. And the moment I saw that, I was like, they're doing something different with this game. I didn't know the story at the time. I had a feeling that they would kill Joel. Yeah. Um, But I was just like, I don't know. And when they killed Joel and I was like, okay, this is a revenge story. And I'm heated because of how much I love that one. And I thought I was just going to, I thought the twist was going to be, we were going to see Ellie turn into Joel that we met from, from game one. Same. That was how the game was going to end of like, damn, he, he changed his life for this person. And this event happened to change her into this thing. And I was well ready for that because it's the, it's a trope that we see in video games and in movies for the most part. Bro, I just want to highlight that people were so mad about the Joel killing thing. Like they did the Thanos thing where the first five minutes of the movie, yeah. you know what I'm saying? They off a character, but obviously it was different with, with Joel. Niggas is so mad. If you go to the PlayStation uh, Instagram, I sent you this ad. Joel, People are yeah, like, why I saw is that. Joel even on there? You just take Joel, Joel off the cover. Off picture. People are so mad. Like, bro, like, get over it, bro. Like, I'm sorry. It was that was genius storytelling to me. If you like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was great art is divisive ultimately, right? So the things that I'm, you know, have qualms about are so are are. It's because I'm comparing it to film. I'm not comparing it to other games because it's transcended the game medium. Yeah, you you, you it's transcended can't. the medium. You can't, you can't, and and the the level of emotion that I've gotten playing, you know, both the Last of Us games has, you know, outside of Final Fantasy, yep. which to me at the time was cinematic, right? You know, on PlayStation, like I hadn't, you know, I hadn't gotten those type of feelings. Like I play games, you play as a video game person, as you were saying before, you're disconnected. You're playing as Rambo doing a bunch of wild shit. Whereas I felt like I was in this world and I really felt it reminded me a lot of like these kind of Disney Pixar films where these characters feel like they have a policy called the spark and these characters should feel uh, like alive, even when they are off screen, right? You feel like they have their own lives. And I really felt like that with, with the last of us, the way they casted it, the way it was written and so on and so forth. Um, I mean, I would say specifically like, Ellie's thing like I was mad I'm like yo give me like DLC where I'm just kicking it with Jesse for five hours he was mad dope you know what I'm saying Asian American male character and he was dope you know how often do they do that like yeah. her relationship was so ill right like going through the synagogue right? I, I remember sending you so many messages about exploring different places and reading the notes and and did you didn't you say they they flipped one of the um other tropes on the head it was like the manic pixie yeah, yeah, yeah manic pixie dream girl and that was that was ended up being Abby's, Abby's boyfriend. Uh, Abby's boyfriend in that there was just like there was so much that the that the regular game fanboys, you know what I'm saying, they had issues with because they weren't necessarily seeing like their hyper masculine or just like overtly like we're the ill kind of you know penultimate hero kind of you know what i'm saying like in the forefront of that i like that was one of the things i greatly appreciated yeah. you know what i'm saying like about it the fact that there was a lot of risk and a lot of like yo killing joel yeah. like people like dog i like i loved joel you know what i'm saying like him as a character the way he flipped the way you know the decision that he made bro hold up hold up, hold up hold up hold yeah. up this record scratch bruh we both said the same thing about Joel, though, bro. Oh, he went out like he a herb. Like, yeah, he, he was. He went outside, nigga. That's that. Like, 
when he when he was like you talked about it was growth because yeah. you know what i'm saying he was on on base and he got a little softer or whatever when he said his real name i'm like bro you don't think those firefly niggas are still looking for your ass use an alias bro as soon as he said his real name i'm like oh it's a rap. about to be different. it's a rap i knew something was going on. i was like yo it's i mean i knew it knew was a rap when he caught the shell to the to the leg i was like that's it <laughs> They're not going to have this nigga in a wheelchair for part of the game. It's, it's over. Um, and I was just sitting there like, dog. I mean, look, nigga, if I had a superpower that could have jumped through the screen, I would have jumped through the screen and beat the ass. And you know how I feel about, like, men putting their hands on women like that. That I was like, I'm over the limit here. Put me in this fucking video game. I mean, like, that's, you know, that's how much you cared so much, you know, yeah. character. And for them to pull a Game of Thrones, really. And you just remove him and say, okay, we're going to kind of force you to play through this. I was just like, okay, like they're doing, they're, they're, they're testing the waters on something different. And I really appreciate that stuff because then what ends up happening is the next tier on it that's built off of something like that tends to be better. Like I feel like Ghost of Tsushima is as robust as it was. It still felt like a base game that the next game that's going to build on top of it is going to echo for the next 20 or 30 years. You know what I'm saying? But yep. so that's why I always like these. And, and, and that was Sucker Punch doing something different. That's why I really like, you know, their attempt at now Abby's part about it, right? And jumping into that, and I'm going to make this very quick. So I agree with you. There was pacing that ended up happening because, yo, you you go on a part where Jesse takes a bullet and you're like, oh, sh-. like literally that moment that happens. Yeah, that freaked me out. That, I was like, oh, shit. Yo, that... I don't know how it wouldn't have because literally he just found out he was going to be a dad. They like yeah. just decided that like, yo, we're just going to have to co-parent this baby. And like you, me and Dina, like we're all chill, nigga. Like this is about to be this. Like, that was so compelling. Their story. You're like, these niggas going to have some weird. Yeah. They're like, yo, they're going to have some weird modern family thing going on. They definitely going to work through it. Like it was this crazy dynamic and not, but 10 seconds later, walk through the door, nigga caught a bullet. And then you're like, Oh shit. And then it snaps back to like the very earliest parts of Abby and you're like, wait, what? And so now you're like going back through her story. Wasn't that like the zebra sequence or something? Was it, was that? Well, yeah, I think they do like a save the cat thing. That might be the first thing you do. You might be right where, where they save the, they, they save the, um, they save the zebra. And so that's like a little technique that they do to try to get you closer to endear to, to, to like the hero. Now, when I jumped back, I thought the same thing, like, whoa, I just went from this really heavy moment, mind you, when we're playing these games, half the time it's late or we're doing other stuff. So I'm like, well, I got to play again. I got to keep playing for the next two hours because I got to see what the fuck's going to happen. Are, are they going to go back to the scene where I just saw this Asian dude that like is mad cool and all this whole shit? Am I going to see him get avenged and all this other shit? And then as I'm playing it, I was like, that's when it became a masterclass for storytelling for me. Because I was like, okay, they're doing the equivalent of what film would do, right? Which is show, don't tell. That's why exposition is not that great. They're going to, they, I knew that they were going to lead me to the game and go, you know what? In this crazy time where everybody's going back and forth in real life and all this shit's happening and nobody's having empathy and nobody gives a fuck about the other person's side. And you got to see a dude get a knee on his neck for you to feel for a bunch of people and all this other stuff. They forced you to play as this person that, I mean, like I said five seconds ago, that you fully hated. And then that was when, like, it, the game kind of peaked for me. Because at that point, I knew that I was going to have to try to find a way to reconcile with, like, Abby killing Joel and what that looked like. 
And by understanding writing devices and watching them use so many to like turn my feelings, like, like you said, the zebra thing, they do the kill the cat thing, but they do it over and over and over again to show that this person is humane, that this world fucks with people, that the cycle of violence created by this world and the chaos and everything that's happening, so much shit get lost. Gets I mean, lost. that's what leads us to the yeah. ending too, right? Well, it's like, yeah. you know, you see Ellie's de-evolution, right? And you see her deteriorate. So you're like, by the end, it, you know, we'll talk about the ending specifically because I thought the ending was actually really, really genius. Again, like yeah. the pacing is just what what I didn't like. I just, just at, like if I was watching as a film, maybe I would like it more. But actually playing it, it, it broke what I love from a gameplay perspective. Again, like yeah. people are saying it's not a game to have fun with. It's a game to experience, right? Yeah. That's what, and a lot of people play games for fun. I get it. You know, that's like some of people's critiques. And and a, a lot of myself came down to gameplay and pacing, you know, and, and that's kind of where we disagree a little bit because, like, I get everything they were trying to do with Abby. I'm not mad at it. I just yeah. think that they made a couple of choices where they, they could have trimmed some things down that would have benefited or they could have played around a little bit more with timeline. Yeah, the execution, the execution could have been better. But what I recognize, and this is why I, I kept saying, like, the suspension of certain things, like, the, the pacing, I knew when they jumped back that generally a crescendo like that, like if you're writing a story, you don't hit a peak and then dip and dive. You actually go down before, you know, like as your yep. hero going down and things come back before you can crescendo back up to like your hero's point. Mm -hmm. And they literally, they, they went up and then they dropped you right back down. And they consistently were kind of doing that. And it could have been done in a way where it was definitely less jarring. And that's me like suspending that to be like, boom. And you're right. Like the game was almost split 50, 50. Right. But Abby sections felt in my opinion. So like when people talk about it slogged along or there was pacing with that, I think it felt that way because it was so fucking dense. Like, like honestly, Ellie's sections had time to breathe. There were yeah. times where niggas was sitting on couches straight having conversations where like Abby was like beat to beat to beat to beat to beat. And a lot of her meaningful conversations were like in between her moving and doing things because they're like, yo, we have to give you history. We have to give you like the appreciation for the character. We have to show you about this. We have to show you people in her world. And they tried to do everything that they had did with Ellie with the first half of the game and a previous game in just half of a game of a person that you utterly hated. Yes. And so that's a thing where you're just like, yo, I had to put that up there to be like, I see exactly what they're doing. And I felt the ending. I was like, when we get to the end, I, by the time we got there, I was like, I don't want any of them to die because every person had their particular reason and it directly connected to a quote my dad said, my brother passed away. I blame the dude that was in the car for a long time. You throw around blame for a lot of shit. And I was talking to my dad once and I was like, I want to kill this dude. Like that was like my, my, my emotional feeling. And my dad looked at me and he goes, yo, this man is responsible for killing his best friend in a car and somebody else. And he has to be in prison. Like he, this is something that's going to be with him for the rest of his life. And it was so hard for me to like, not hard for me, but I'm hearing my dad say this and I'm like, this is your son. This is your firstborn child. Like, you know, how could you have the, the heart and spirit and the, the, the wisdom to kind of look at this person who was also a child at the time, 
you know, with this responsibility. And, um, you know, I looked at that and was like, like, Jesus, I don't know how somebody could do that. Like, and when I look at the game, you know, at the ending, part of it felt like unrealistic that, you know, Ellie would let her live or that Abby would, you know, let her live at any of those points. But then just also, bro, we grew up around the cycle of violence. Half the violence that was committed back was because of someone that was hurt. And then they would spread that and then just keep going back and forth because it was an eye for an eye. And even if another person was like, I want to be done, it's like, yo, you killed my brother, you killed my my uncle or something like that. And so it just can't end unless someone is willing to shovel that, you know, take that pain. And so by the end of it, I was just like, damn, you know, I, I really wanted both those characters to live. But what they're doing, and again, this is why it was a flaw, uh, you suspending disbelief. They're setting up Abby to become Joel and Ellie to become the Scarboy, right? Or, or sorry, the Scarboy to become Ellie because they're going to make a future game because this is successful. It seems as if because Abby lives at the end that they're setting up that dynamic and you kind of felt that at that chapter right before the end, right? When you're as Ellie about to extract your revenge that they're going through and they're having a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of was akin to Joel and Ellie, right? Where they're exploring things and there's the fish out of water character, right? And 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 Abby is becoming Joel. So it kind of was like a full circle thing, but clearly they're building towards that in a third game. So I think some of the complaints that I have, again, was to establish Abby as a character so we could have a third game. Yeah, I mean, that that that's possible. Um to be honest, I didn't even think about it. Think about that that way. When it got to the very end of the game, I didn't know where they, they where they would go with it. Um, I was hoping that they would almost treat it like a Walking Dead kind of situation, or what is it, this uh, Dead Summer kind of thing, where they would do like an anthology. Like I would, like Abby, I would hope that like at least like um, Ellie's story is kind of over at the very end. You know when you kind of hold on, hold on, hold, okay. hold you. I I wanna I wanna like walk people through the ending of the game. Just okay. just just hold hold up. Just pin, put a pin in it. Yeah. So for Ellie going through, you finally get to play as Ellie. You're like, all right, shit, it's popping. It's time to get revenge. Whatever. You don't know how it's gonna end. By the time we got to the point where she was about to extract her revenge, I already was like, yo, this shit is over. Like the feeling of nihilism that I felt when you see humans enslaving other humans. Yeah. Right when you get to that point where you see Abby has been tortured yeah. and emaciated, and, and, like she just, yeah, yeah, and, and Abby was a G the whole game. And then she, you know, looks she's like a skeleton. Abby's, yeah. Like when you see that, where the depths that humanity has sunk to, that was the most realistic part of the game. Cause if you look at like this pandemic and how people don't care about other people, I looked at that shit right away and was like, yo, humanity is fucked. I don't really care what happens because even if there is a cure, right? Like, like, let's say fireflies and we're going to make a cure and then there's all this hope. Humanity is fucked, bro. Yeah. Even if they find a cure, so much damage has been done before factions. What I really love about The Last of Us 2 exposes, like, you know, the deaths of humanity, which, like, again, hasn't really been explored in games. So continue with. And you're right. And the connection to, like, now with the whole, like, you know, really having empathy, man, and really seeing that because um, it's going back and forth, you know, like, you know, where I live, I'm around a lot of people who are, you know, on the opposing aisle that I'm on. Man's lives in Long Island where people have Trump signs for the listeners. And so, you know, for me, like, 
I'm consistently around those people and uh, and people who are conservative outside who are not Trump conservatives. They're just like conservatives. And a lot of the conversations I have with them lean so much on empathy. And that's how I get them over to my side is like, yo, having a true understanding, because some of these people actually care about me as an individual. So then that when they see these things happening, they're like, damn, well, you know, they they try to kind of individualize it, but then they can't because they're like, damn, if he's going to get mistreated, then it has to be a system. And my beliefs have to stop at a certain point. Right. So like fiscal conservative aspects of it, religious conservative aspects of it, I'm fine with those things. I can have those things. But I also cannot have people that I care about be mistreated, people that I care about be marginalized and everything else like that. And I, I'm always coming from that perspective. Right. Because in their eyes, they're the Ellie's right. Trying to protect their thing and get there whatever. And I'm the, you know, or the other side is like the Abby ish side. And you got to kind of tell them like, yo, like they killed my pops and like, this was going to change everything. And da, 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 and this is how that works and showing them numbers and so on and so forth. And you do that empathy back and forth with them to, you know, they stay with their particular ideals, but it grows in a grander scheme where it's, it's not split down the middle. And that to me was, so, it, it's so funny that the game had, you know, was being built like four or five years beforehand. And right now in this time of so much division and an actual infection that's spreading around the world, that's also causing part of that division and factions of people that it was like, yo, making you play both sides. Like, and they, that's what they did. They forced you to play both sides. And I, Abby was a Republican, bro. Yeah. I mean, she definitely, she definitely was on that end and found herself being like, I still have some of my ideals but then she had to grow with the other shit that had to make her be like, damn, I kind of got to be, I would say she, she ended more as a left person, but I was going to say she, she, she's not a Bernie person. She ended as a Hillary voter though. You feel me? Yeah. She, she's more, no, she, she, she rocks with Kamala Harris, but she's not about AOC. Yeah. She's, she's more of a centrist. You know what I'm saying? She moved to California, bro. Um, She did. And so I'm going to Cali, but like to run to the ending or whatever they have, they have their particular fight. And then, you know, um, Abby bites off of two of Ellie's uh, guitar playing fingers or whatever. And with that fight, sorry, sorry, with that fight, because there's ways to, you, you played it through, but I told you I wanted to play, I wanted to kill. I was just ready at that point. She had gone so far. I was a little, I'm like, I was disappointed that Ellie didn't finish it. If you went all that way and you did all that shit yeah. to not finish it, when, so there's a part where you, you can like choke her out at the end. Yeah. I kind of, I, I died on purpose because I was trying to. <laughs> to do certain to things break, you're like yo i'm about to break this controller trying to kill this i'm thing. just like yo let's i'm like let's just do it because she like i was i like where they went with the story and you can talk about the guitar piece yeah but i was like yo i was so i was just confused that like it went that far i, I felt like if they were going to do that they should have just let her like not pursue her but go ahead. yeah i mean i think there was i think there was a lot i think i think as you walk through ellie's path right through when we first hit the slavers Right. And they try to take her and shit like that. And then she goes to the camp and she sees that people are being overworked, enslaved and all types of other shit. And then by the time you get to, you know, Abby, let me pause you on the camps, though. Yeah. The camp scene. Yo, phenomenal gaming, yeah. bro. phenomenal gameplay. I fucking chilled out on the on the roof of one of the camps and sniped the entire party, bro. When I talk about phenomenal stealth going through unleashing the clickers yeah. like i wish we could have got more of that game because the amount of stuff that you could do as ellie at that part of the game 
they also gave you a different weapon set too yeah it was raw dude like i don't think i've ever had a gameplay experience and it's funny that you you went like uh top to bottom because i actually snuck in and killed people kind of round robin so i actually went in cleared an entire area um like around the bottom right and uh right before the pool where those clickers or whatever were I let all those clickers out bro scoped out everything and then for me like my main thing is i always start confusion so you know i'll toss a bomb somewhere get cast looking this way kill people long shot and silently like you know what i'm saying from front to back draw people out of the building and stuff like that so you know if if you were a person on the other end you didn't even know if I was one person or if I was 10 people. That's generally like how I like to play. Like, getting... Oh, bro, I'm brutal too. So we talked about that. Me as, as Ellie, all of my, I actually was more savage with the people than I was with the infected. With the infected, I would silently kill them. With the people, I'm putting my uh, scissor attachment <laughs> onto everything. Yeah. I brutalized all those people, bro. Nobody lived with me as Ellie, bro. Just putting it out there. Or they, they, or the the maiming was just so ridiculous because I always had a modded weapon. Um, even though I had like a lot of limited, I, I did play on a harder mode, so I had like limited resources and shit like that. Um, anytime I could grab like a bladed melee weapon, especially on, you know, the, the scarred island or whatever it is like that, I, I would try to get to. Um, but to go back to the camp, phenomenal gameplay, super fun, great run through at the end. There was so much dehumanizing aspects of it. Um, as you're watching Ellie kind of look around, because you are getting certain uh, viewpoints into her emotions as she's going through this shit. She's feeling the same way you were. And like I was, as we're getting to the end where you're like, even if there is a cure dog, some shit just can't be undone. You know what I mean? And I think like that whole fight was such a fucking struggle because she saves her. And then they get to the boat and they're about to get in. And she's just like, I just can't let that shit go. And for yeah, a long time, yeah. You know, my dad kind of said that or whatever. Like, I, you know, I have a lot of respect for him and shit. And, you know, for him, I was like, I get it for you, man. But like for me, like my experience with my brother was different. I'm like, I just can't let that shit go. And, you know, I felt that. I felt where you like want to do the right thing. You know, there's times where I want to do the fucking right thing, uh, especially when I was younger. And I was just like, you know, you just you can't it doesn't leave your spirit and it's different than when the shit happens or something happens and you're in the moment and you're like almost like what the fuck am i doing here or you know the this couple this one decision can change my whole life you know what i'm saying like if you can bring it back if you can make that change and i just felt like i felt like the the storytelling was so big like to the point where it needed all the notes, right? That you would read, that you would find on the dead bodies. And it's like, Hillary, I'm coming for you and whatever. And then you find that nigga's dead body in the next town. And you're like, damn, that's connected to that guy who was supposed yeah, to help. Even the playing cards, bro. It was crazy. The level of detail that bro. you would just ridiculous that you would just get like emotionally. I love the notes. I read them. every single note. I never do that in games. Yeah. And you're reading never. division two. I don't even watch the, 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 the videos. I don't give a fuck. Nah. In last of us two, I want to read every single note. And, and you, you wouldn't know if it was connected to something else and they like just the the game itself was it, like it, it encompassed a lot of different stuff it was very meta like remember going to the bench and you're like working on the bench and shit like that in the crib then all of a sudden these niggas jump off on you Bruh. see i was i didn't want to talk about that well most people played yeah. it, but but that's the most iconic part of the fucking game because you know when you're at the bench you could chill you could relax 
when you had to get it popping right at the bench, I was like, nigga. And you're just like, dog, nothing is sacred now. But it, it went Bruh. to show throughout the game, like, they're mixing it up regularly. Yeah, that was a genius moment. Honestly, I think I, I went dumb when I when I was, because I was sending you so many voice notes. Yeah. I played it in, like, three days because I wanted to make this content for y'all. But, yeah, like, there's just so much of it. So the, all the storytelling was all encompassing. It was going through a bunch of different things. And I think at that ending moment um, <clears throat> where she's, like, you know, about to drown her and shit, three fingers already kind of cut off or whatever and then it's like bit off like bit like bit off so then she, it's there's like so all right so then i gotta kill this bitch here and then i gotta turn around and i gotta go i, I have to kill zeb now because i have to yeah. kill her companion right this this little boy and then it's like where does it end if i kill her and then kill zeb and then and then what and then there's this and then there's that and i think through all of that you're going through you're seeing the people on crucifixes and everything's happening and it's just yeah, like wild shit. it's like dog it, it, i let you live you let me live are we done done and abby was like we i'm on a boat i'm out of here and she's like i'm gonna go back and i think you know when she goes back and and we didn't talk about this before but in order for her to even go on her revenge she put up her family you know what i'm saying with dina and the yeah. boy and everything else like that because of her her, her your ptsd and for her to come back and you know there wasn't a fail that display of ptsd was fire as well man like the level of nuance is fucking amazing and just how it dude there were just so many connecting points and when she got back right and it kind of showed you what revenge kind of can take from a person she couldn't play the song that joel had wrote for her that she would play for her you know adopted son or whatever and at the very end when she's trying to play the song and you're trying to play it and the notes aren't hitting because she just doesn't have the fingers to play it. I was just like, she lost it all, bro. Damn. Yeah. And it was just like, that's, you know, that revenge is it, it took, it took such a part of you. And I felt like if we do see Ellie again in these games, that her level of growth, in my opinion, in this world is going to be very different. I think it, you know, it'd be a huge fan service to see what she would be like in the future. If they did a game that was outside of her, and then you got a chance to meet her again. And I would love to be able to see whatever wisdom that she would kind of impart on whatever person that she would then meet. I think, you know, so much of Joel's growth kind of kind of sifted into her like after in that moment. And, um, you know, I just I, I, I thoroughly appreciated it. Yeah, you know? I love that absolute ending part of it and her losing the fingers it was nuts and also it's nuts that you can actually play real songs on a fucking guitar so yeah i've I've been seeing people on the internet playing a bunch of different shit on it and i'm like houseway so ultimately How? you know phenomenal game any other year i would have to, i would give it like I, I i i don't know i would i would complain about that part that i complained about but i gave it a 4.7 4.75 out of 5 because my next game goes to Shishima, I had to give it that perfect five. Any other thoughts, Mike Tony, before we move on to Ghost of Shishima? No, I mean it's a, it's a spiritual, spiritually perfect game for me. Uh, um, like I said, I did have to suspend some stuff, but you know, I just uh, master class in storytelling, especially for someone who's trying to learn how to tell better stories. Yes. All right. So what I'm gonna do is on screen, I'm showing y'all this rare Ghost of Shishima pin. That I got from E3's PlayStation Experience 2018, where they actually talked about Last of Us 2. They showed the trailer of that bar scene in the kiss and a Ghost of Tsushima trailer at the same time. So Ghost of Tsushima, I felt like came out of nowhere. A lot of people 
felt that way and and i think a lot of the reason why i feel like it was game of the year because it was so refreshing because it was new ip right like final fantasy 7 remake and last of us 2 had to compete with classics from the past and that there's burdens in that right the the, the whole joel weight uh, and and why some people hate last of us 2 is divisive is because of how much they love the original game ghost of shima really came out of nowhere and when i saw the trailer i'm like yo what is this is this tenchu for my old school ps homies yeah. you know that game is this only musha is this neo what, what is this i knew it was some samurai elements but they played up the demon elements more which i thought was interesting in the trailer and then when i played the full game i'm like where's the demon elements and what really 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 solidified it as game of the year for me is after the fucking game in september they dropped the multiplayer out of nowhere and the multiplayer has all of these you know spiritual elements where you're playing the story of Jin Sakai, but his legend told through, you know, demonic and spiritual tales. It's, it's, it's nuts. Like the developers, Sucker Punch actually had it in mind to do multiplayer from the start, but they added that as a bonus afterwards and they weaved it into the story in a genius way. It's the point where like, I, I, again, I platinum Ghost of Tsushima got, um, no, you don't have to get all the items to platinum it, but I got pretty much everything. And I locked the mask. Um, was super proud to to platinum the game because I loved it. I wanted to spend three times the amount of much time in that world because I love that world. I, again, I played on the base PS4, but now that I have PS5, I played some multiplayer online, and it is nuts. Visually stunning. Um, anybody who played it on PS4 Pro or PS5, if if you're listening to this and you haven't played it. And you have an opportunity to play it on the next gen on a great TV. Best looking game I played. Amazing. So it's game of the year for me. Uh, man, the multiplayer alone was phenomenal. We play the multiplayer all the time. We've gotten ill. We can talk about that later. Um, the fact that we both named our horses Kage was hilarious. All the black dudes yeah. do that. If you if you you're a suspect if you didn't name your horse Kage. Shout outs to uh, Michael Peters and Justin Charity of the Sound Only Podcast. Black men who also named their horse Kage. Anyways, um, honestly, bro. Speaking of Kage, the death of Kage, bro. Yeah. Again, this is spoilers. I'm assuming you finished the game if you're listening to this. The death of Kage hit me more than like I. I a man and his horse, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we play Breath of the Wild, you know, you play your horses, whatever. But, like, how much I love that horse because of the side missions where you fall asleep on Kage and wake up and you play with him. Just, you play the game mainly alone, but you have such a bond with nature. The haikus are, are fire. I'm, I'm At the end of this, I'm going to throw out my best haikus at the beginning and end of this podcast. I just decided I'm going to do that as a bonus for y'all, editing-wise. Um... The worlds, it's based on Tsushima, a real place. Obviously, you know, people who were talking about it were like, oh, well, it's it's not historically accurate. Yeah, no shit. It's, it's didn't claim to be. Fans love the game so much, they gave like $10 million to actual Tsushima to re- restore a shrine. That's how much people fucking love this game. And again, the biggest cosign is people in Japan have been showing a lot of love for how they've used... Uh, older forms of the Japanese language when they're talking about it. Um, Famitsu, Weekly Famitsu in Japan gave it the game of the year, which is a great cosign. And I actually had a multiplayer experience where I played with three people from Japan and we were able to clear the raid. The fact that we were able to do that was so beautiful. The raid is like combat, platforming, 
all of these things combined and I was able to do it with, you know, people from overseas. And I just thought that was beautiful. Like, uh, the multiplayer is so fucking phenomenal. Again, we played Division 2 together, but just the way that they've they've taken my favorite parts of the single-player game and built it out into the multiplayer. Mike, you haven't played the raid, but, like, the raid is, like, the shrine parts plus the survival nightmare parts. It's crazy how, how genius just the raid is. So just off multiplayer alone, it would be one of my favorite games, but everything I love about the single-player story of Jin Sakai and how his code of ethics changes throughout have made it the game of the year for me like the biggest thing again my brother is playing it right now for me um samurai code is akin to the g code for a lot of us or the way me and mike are both martial artists right so so mastering yourself is something we both really believe in so the first time you get an assassination kill because for me when i played it i played like a straight g i played like a samurai i'm calling motherfuckers out as soon as i come in you know what i'm saying it's go time I played with the Japanese voice track. I was trying to live Rashomon in, in real life, fam. Like, this, this shit was serious to me. So, the first time I aerial killed somebody from a shed down below, and then the memory from the uncle comes up about how that was dishonorable, I was already, like, a quarter through the game because I was so into being a samurai, bro. Like, the way that they play with storytelling and flashbacks in Ghost of Tsushima is fucking genius so that was my multiple minutes of gushing about ghost of tsushima go ahead and give your rating hate 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 now i'm playing i'm playing um oh so you gave it a five out of five right five out of five, five my nigga. Five. that's bro um, the multiplayer push it over the top for me bro yeah i mean you get that much out of a single player experience and then you have dope multiplayer it's crazy yeah i think um so first and foremost, I like the game. I thought the game was great. Uh, you know, you know me personally that like um, I love Japanese culture. Um, you know, it's like I kind of knew like when Ghost of Tsushima was coming out. Historically, I knew that the Mongols had actually ran through um, Tsushima. So there were things that I I had known about this um, for a while. Like I know, um, you know, at, at least to a degree um kind of like some of the early forms of even how you know ninjas were kind of born or the idea of ninjas you know were kind of born and the way they did a combination of the two um because some of these guys like goemon were from the samurai class and shit like that there was so much stuff that I, i thoroughly appreciated um from the game my my the reason why it's not the game of the year for me um because you know by technicality it's it's a five out of five game um because the story was tight, the gameplay was fun, the multiplayer gameplay gameplay is super fun. Um, as I was saying before, it felt to me like a baseline game that is going to build onto a game that's going to echo and reverb through history. I firmly believe that um, because of just how tight everything was. In both of these games, I didn't get any glitches. So, and it may be because like where my PlayStation is is right next to my 5G. Everything is running tight. I also have fiber optic um, Verizon Fios uh, with fiber optic. Same. Ethernet, Fios connections for the real gamers out there. My gaming experience is pretty tight. So um, for both of those. You got that LTV too. I didn't experience the LTV until I upgraded. 
so yeah so i all my frame rates were right um it's, so both of these games were unbelievably beautiful i mean like there's there are only so many games where i feel like i can just kind of you know i played days gone i played a lot of games that were you know open uh, uh uh games this year sandbox games where i'm just like this is cool you know what i mean but only so many games that hit me like the witcher uh that you can actually just run around and be in that just look beautiful ghost of shishimo is like that as dark and as dim as um last of us was and last of us 2 was they were exactly kind of like that just the the gameplay and the growth of the gameplay there are only so many games where i enjoy doing the side missions right because most side missions are very repetitive that's why miles morales and spider-man ps4 well specifically miles morales in a short game the side missions from playing ghost of shishima like recently and Mm -hmm. then playing like a side mission based game like miles morales even though i love it that's the difference right there yeah oh my god it just i mean the witcher was one of those games like that for me where the witcher side missions even though they were monster hunts every monster was different so like yo go kill this thing and you would have to track it a different way because it was doing some different shit it was a different kind of monster it had different kind of things and so side note final fantasy 16 team is very inspired by the witcher 3 so oh my we're gonna do a whole separate pod about why we're gonna love final fantasy 16 anyways continue yeah, there's so much I can hop into that with. But in Ghost of Tsushima, I found myself wanting to run around and clear up the map. I wanted to do the legendary missions. I wanted to I wanted to clear all of the barns. I wanted to do that shit, not to just platinum it, but I wanted to do it because I'm like, I want the new armor. I want the this. I want the that. I want to get the different dyes. I want to find the different, you know, dyers well, throughout the thing. You got it before me. And you were posting your die kits. I'm like, yo, I gotta catch up because my die drip has to match Mike Tony's. Yeah, yo, it, it, there were just so many parts of the game. Also, the banners. Just... Sorry, I just want to highlight this: the yes. banners because I, I I did more than you for banners. When you finish the banners like to the max, it tells you stories about Jin Sakai's family and line and and the history of Tsushima. Like that's part of platinuming it, getting all the banners basically. Yeah, and it's it's. They didn't need to add these details, right? And why do I want it? Why did I want a platinum that when I finish it, there's no more combat? Because I love exploring the fucking worlds because it's amazing. Also, no low times. No low times. I, how did I not talk about that? Yeah. No low times because the way that they rendered it, the the, the way that they they direct you towards directions. Yeah. But there's no low times. Yeah. Or it's or it's like hidden behind these. It's hidden behind these movements and things that you that you do or whatever that is they don't it doesn't feel like it and also i want to say this this is one of the first games that i have ever played where fast travel is fast travel two to three seconds on a base ps4 so ps5 just uh miles morales or something or or the way ps5 is designed there's cards that'll like boost you to a place where it's even faster than ghost ship it's like like instant right yeah but on a base ps4 Bro, I would try to I would try to look at my phone and I'd look down at it and I'd look up and I'd be there and I'm like, yo, this yep. is impossible. Like Final Fantasy Seven, you're loading through all of those, you know, uh, slums or whatever sl- the sectors. Yeah, and yeah. Like when that, you're yeah. going through, a, that's why they're directing you that way. Ghost of Tsushima does have load times, but it's in the cutscenes the way that they they laid it out, which is genius. But the fact that one game loads and the other doesn't and they like the way that they developed it is just genius same thing with horizon zero dawn yeah. whatever's behind you is actually 
not being rendered that's why they're able to make the map that big so it's just nuts just on a technical level i was blown away by ghost of Shishima. yeah it just you know there there's so many aspects about it um that i loved about the game and just going through and playing it the mechanics the weapons all the shit was fun you know what i'm saying learning more about the world of tsushima was also interesting i wanted a little bit more i, I to be honest i wanted there to be a little bit more of a turn because there, there was a note. There was a note about um, how Jensei Kai's dad and his brother didn't necessarily meet eye to eye per se, and that was the the granny was kind of telling them that. And I was. If you do the side mission, th- those are my favorite side missions with the nanny. Yep. It's good to preface that because they're not on the main line. If you do the side missions with the nanny, then you will see that. Um, and I was kind of hoping, like we we don't really get, and maybe you get this from the banners, but I didn't necessarily get the full backstory on like like why jen's like how jen's dad had basically died or whatever if he was kind of ill but i really wanted i really secretly wanted uh jen's pop to kind of be like almost on some vigilante shit like he 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 lived by a code to the degree but he also recognized that like life and the people of tsushima are bigger than the code and that's kind of what the nanny yeah she She was was saying you're more like your dad than your uncle yeah I'm hope if there is a part two, I'm hoping that we get a little bit more history on that. I loved the ending, like he's in that his little secret base kind of layer shit, which I thought was fire. Yeah, um, with all the with all the the bonus the bonus uh, stuff and the trinket shit. Yeah, and, and this is why uh, Last of Us edged it out for me, right? For game of the year, uh, with everything that I loved about this game uh story wise gameplay wise and stuff like that um the relationship between him and the uncle i really wanted that to kind of work out to some degree and then recognizing that it kind of couldn't i think we both did have the same ending uh similar for that it's because we both let him live by the way you can choose to yeah you kill him we both decided to let him live because we value family yeah value family and to let this nigga know like that was fully in my ideals like i'm not i stepped out of the realm of samurai you know what I mean? As much as I love you and as much as that's what you want from me, like that's not going to be that's not going to be the last thing you see me do because I'm, you know, I'm proving my point. We, we me, you and I, right, are people who have chosen their, our own paths out of a lot of stuff. And that required us to step out of the norm. I mean, the way of the samurai wasn't working, bro. The Mongols were going to we're winning for a reason. The moment they burned old boy alive, which yeah. is the first part of the game, when he walked up and was like, I challenge you and the nigga just threw a Molotov at him. I'm like, yo, we're not playing by the same rules. <laughs> I would have taken my armor off and I would have immediately turned into the ghost. That would have been it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, the reason why Last of Us edged it out for me is because um, the experimentation of it. You know, I, I me personally, I was I, I liked the storytelling devices and the stories, the storytelling aspect of Last of Us and what it attempted to do. And then um, playing Ghost of Tsushima, it it though fun though compelling though i wanted to open it up it felt uh it felt par for the course you know so i was playing things that felt par for the course even though there were moments in the game where i was like oh i liked like me i if you ask my brother i've always wanted to be a ninja or straight assassin from the time i was young so it didn't take me long to get that flashback it was like the moment i learned (laughs) how to do some ghost shit i stabbed a nigga in the back of the head like three minutes later and it was like killing it killing your enemy without seeing them is dishonorable 
And I was like, oh, I'm about to get a lot of these cutscenes. It took me a minute, bro. I was yeah. like multiple camps. And I remember you messaging me about that. And you yeah. were like, dog, I'm like, nigga, ain't you in act two? And I'm because like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dog, what? I'm like, literally after I learned that move, I did it. And yeah. so it but it was also it was really so there are so many mechanics in that, like the more like, so for example, you probably didn't get a lot of storms like in the first part of the game. No, no, I didn't get it towards the end. For me was like, I was running around I'm like, dog, why is it raining all the time? There's fucking storms or whatever. And I, it was because I was doing all the assassin stuff. And so mm -hmm. like you and I still had very different playthroughs as it was yep. meant to be because of our styles of, of <laughs> like going through and going into it. And you know, I thought that was also great. The fact that you got that cutscene later through the game and I got it very early. But just knowing that that like, you know, just knowing that effect, but also knowing like that's how you played the game. Like you were running in and challenging cats and going full tank. And it also leads into like how we play multiplayer, like our first yep. classes oh, that were yeah. the illest that is yours as a samurai and mine is like the ninja you know what i'm saying yeah, i can rack true. up 300 kills as a ninja and you could rack up 300 as oh, as an assassin and you could rack yeah. up 300 as the um as the samurai and, and so uh, my second class is ronin because i play a similar way i like to do parries and counters that was my favorite part of the game getting the legendary armors and doing the one-on-one -on -one sword fights i yeah. wish there was more of that honestly that shit was that that was fire i love that and i didn't realize until later in the game that you can actually use your specials in those duels so mm -hmm. later in the game, I actually was using those specials and stuff like that. But that's you know, those just hard as fuck. I didn't, dude. I didn't know until like the last couple of battles because I saw that I had like um one of those uh like Hachiman versions. Of, yeah, yeah. And one of the bosses, I think it was against my first fight with a uh, uh, the thunder shark or, or something. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm like, why is my shit still blinking? I'm like, can I actually use this? And I used it on him. I'm like. I could have been using this the you whole time. Shit, so then, yeah, I, I was saving them for all these duels and stuff like that. But the duels are great. Every, you know, everything that the game was such an amazing game and even playing a revenge story as it was, it was just phenomenal. Like it is a splitting hair thing. The difference between these two games is, is, was lit. They're both beautiful looking games. They both, and the one thing that really, like I played a bunch of sucker punch games before that. So I played the infamous series and then I played, you know, second son, which was the, the second installment of a different hero or whatever before that in the combat and open world, the way they had it in those games was different. Like they were like, they took a risk with this more grounded aspect of it. And a lot of people were like, well, we want to see how sucker punch is really going to handle this. And um, I think they did a phenomenal job, man. I just, I, I know what that second game is going to be like, and that's what I'm wildly excited for because yeah. it's going to go into more of the realm of, of the ghosts and how like the influence of the ghosts starts to spread around. I mean, you already see it and I platinumed it and you, you, there's like people are afraid of you when you show up to certain places, when you do like post game shit. Yeah. But, that, but, but I mean like the influence of like at the very end when you, you know, um, I feel so bad talking about the end of this game, but you know, you have that final walk with your uncle, which is yep. just wildly endearing. You love mm -hmm. it. And you kind of thinking you think you may know because the voice acting is phenomenal. The uncle's voice is a little shaky in some of his things. I mean, I listened to the Japanese voice track. That shit was A1. Again, I was trying to be full on Kurosawa boy out here. Um, and then when we play multiplayer, 
I'm like, yo, Mike, shut up. I'm uh, like, I have to read the captions. I'm still playing with the Japanese. Oh, yeah, because you're still playing with the Japanese yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, so um, even up until that moment, you know what I'm saying, where, you know, he's walking with the uncle and they're like, yo, we're getting an army together and we're going to push back the Mongols on the mainland and da, 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 da. And it's like, that's how the influence of the ninja ended up spreading. I mean, it came from bandits attacking towns and then these people having to defend themselves. That's why a lot of ninja weapons look like farm-based weapons. But it was like once people, like Goemon's a lot higher, but once lower tiered like Koga and certain, you know, ninja families started to come up, like these ghost families started to come up, the influence of that being a technique of learning how to fight and defend yourself started to spread you know what i'm saying across the country and i feel like as we play legends which is this mystical storytelling of like niggas sitting around the fire talking about what Sekai did which is dope so genius will start to spread like to the mainland and other things i think you're going to find more people like yuna like other people that are like him and i love the idea of him being a part or if not leading a specific faction to push back the Mongols and this being an integral part of that war, which then opens up to more ghost tools, which then opens up to more dynamics of morality, more dynamic. Cause that's what the uncle was like, look at what you're doing. People yep, need order. The if there's no order for this, if there's no order for that, look at how this, you know, becomes this thing. There's so many components to play around with it. And I feel like for that game too, unless there's a VR game that you can get inside like Black Mirror, I don't think that there's going to be a game that's going to be over Ghost of Tsushima 2. I just don't see... The only way that it'll be trailer... The only, this 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 is what they're going to have to do and they can hire me to do this. We're going <laughs> to... The only way I love the game more is if they did Yasuke DLC, nigga. That's the only way. Oh, if they had uh, some ill-ass uh, Yasuke uh, 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 DLC. That's it, bro. That's it. That's the only way that it would, I would make me love the game even more, bro. Because that was the realest game, bro. Bro, if, if they did that, they, I mean, it would be game of the year for like two years straight for me. You, you, that would be it. Like the Miles Morales spinoff. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah, so we play online. Uh, multiplayer is great. Uh, we've we've gone on for too long, and this uh, we could just say so much about the multiplayer. Uh, survival is awesome. It's hard. I've I think I've logged over a hundred hours now because PS Five tracks it. My cousin told me he has PS Five as well. So uh, tell people your Twitch, man, because I, I I feel like we need to stream us on Ghost of Tsushima at one point because I I kind of like our faction. Shout out to the homie Mikey Christmas too. Michael Christmas is an ill hunter when we play. I run Samurai, you run Assassin, Michael Christmas runs Hunter. I heard the homie Cousin Stiz is pretty good at that game, too. I love uh, all, all the homies who are on there. Yeah, so, I mean, you can follow me on Twitch, Mike Tony Design, M-I-K-E-T-O-N-E-Y Design. It's the same for all of my social handles if you want to check me out there. All my links go to all my other different links and channels and stuff like that. Uh, as of right now, I just got a lot of drawing videos up on there, but I do want to have a lot more just talking sessions where I just chop it up with y'all. And I do want to put my gaming on there because me and Jordan get pretty nice at... Uh... Bro, we've been doing work. Like when I play with other people online, like I've gotten nice enough to clear Nightmare Survival with Randos and we our times having a line to play raids. So I've been playing with Randos. But like when you or I play versus these other people who play, you can see the difference. There's a clear there's a clear difference in the way we kind of be playing and just They're not cerebral, bro. Like 
like a lot of that again that's why i play as, as samurai because like i can hold down an entire area myself with just techniques people don't play technically they play it like it's it's not call of duty bro yeah. it's 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 i love the multiplayer bro we play division kind of the same way it's like we're we're man i, I love the game i can't say any more about it and we've spent well over an hour talking about the game of the year so thank you if you made it to this part of the podcast appreciate you hopefully you enjoyed our takes again don't come from us with toxicity because when the panty is over we'll see you in the real world and choke you out if you're being toxic online all right <laughs> i i've been to e3 you know we've been to anime nyc together when the world opens up we're gonna be at cons so you can tell me then save your toxicity then and then we'll flip the table and beat your ass. Yeah. Right? Don't be toxic. Yeah, come on, man. It's not. It's, it's, it's really not even worth all that. I tell Read you right book, now. Read a book, yo. It's like, it's 2020. You can't be mad that there's diversity in games, all right? If you have a neck beard, you're probably not even listening to this because you're mad to hear two black dudes talk intelligently. But... Yeah, yeah. We'll probably say the N-word more than we say it on here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh... um, thank you for walking through. Oh, so what was your final score for Ghost of Shima? Did you give it? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I think I said spiritually, it's, it's kind of like a five, man, but you know, it just, it gets the story edges out for me. So, so it's a 4.85 then, or what? Cause you gave 4.99. If I gave, if I gave, um, Last of Us like a 4.98, then I got to give Ghost of Tsushima like a 4.96, you know? Wow. I didn't realize it was below. that close. Okay. It's I'm very, honored. dude, it's very close. The difference. No, it is. It's it, splitting it, hairs. It's splitting it, it, really, it really is. And, and yeah. also, I got no glitches in these games. And yeah. so for me, I got like, minimal in both. It very was minimal. I, I never, like, you know, it, and if you think about that, I never got pulled out of these games at yeah. once. When I was playing as fucking Jin Sakai, I was running through motherfuckers as Jin Sakai. There was no mm-hmm. point where my horse got stuck somewhere or nope. some weird shit was happening. Like I was, in, I was able to have that experience straight through. Yeah, just for me, just at the temples, just and those are it's a sandbox game. If, if GTA, how many times you get fucking stuck in GTA? Like, yeah, it's true. And then I'm just, I'm just amazed, man. Just. And we both love Japanese film. We both love yeah. Japanese uh, games, culture, and so just to play. I got the samurai helmet right here. Yeah, and I think I got my sword that's over there. But it's like just to be able to, I don't know, man. It was just, and and we're both fans of of Kurosawa, so it's just like, so it's just like, I don't know. And the fact that they had the Kurosawa mode, you knew yeah. what it was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think the only way this game could have been like any more closer to something like that is like, I mean, it was a Chambara. Like as much as we like, for people who don't know, that's like what a Japanese Western is, right? And and it was like, dog, we got to play this ill-ass Japanese. And where do they get the Western genre from, from Japan, anyways? And so, like, it just, you know, that's what it was. So just, it was such a beautiful experience, man. And like I said, it was just edged out by the fact of the different storytelling devices. And it, that, to me, felt fresh. And it felt like I can expect, I can always expect something from Naughty Dog that is going to flip it on its head and just give me something that is different um in ghost of shishima it was a, it was a first of its ip and that was the first i know it's crazy dog that was the that was the beginning of the ghost of shishima ip can you imagine two and three is gonna be like yeah it broke it broke sales records for sure and now it's getting popular in japan so i'm really really excited for the future of the franchise so just as a 
new IP to come through and just slap motherfuckers in the face with so much excellence out the gate. <sighs> Cannot wait for two. It's going to be off the hook, but... That's why I'm going to uh, get Mike Tony his PS5. He's going to listen to my next podcast, which is actually going to cover PS5 optimal settings, how to cop your next PS5 or be a person that got one. I had a crazy hunt for one. Uh, we're recording this pretty late. The only reason why I'm still up is because I was up mad late trying to secure the PS5. If you want to learn how to do that, you can follow me at Jordan underscore Martins. I'm going to start making some reels about Instagram reels about my L's that I've taken because I've taken plenty L's. They're pretty savage that Mike's laughing about because I told him about them. But you can you know, follow me and I'm going to give you game on how to secure the PS5. But also I'm going to have some comedy about the hunt because it was mad serious. For sure. For sure. I mean, I, I didn't even want to hop in and try to get one because it was so wild. But uh, I appreciate everybody that stayed on. Jordan, thanks for having me on your uh, second podcast. I really appreciate that, man. First and second and back to back, you know, so I, I really appreciate that, man. I think um, I'm looking forward to seeing this thing spring off and and go forward. And then you having me back on here and we can talk about Last of Us 3 and Ghost of Tsushima 2. Oh, man, we're going to be talking about a whole lot before then. Oh, we also got to talk about Final Fantasy. Uh, Final Fantasy 15 is going to be a five-hour epic. It's actually going to be longer than the actual game. <laughs> It'll be more engaging than the actual game, I'll tell you that. Well, we'll talk about Final Fantasy 16 because I'm definitely excited for that for the PS5 and Final Fantasy 15. I think we might do a whole spin-off of Square. This conversation kind of inspired me because... Uh, I have some square theories, and we're both huge JRPG fans. But, yeah, thanks for hopping on. Thank you for making it to the ends, and continue listening to the Screens and Rhymes podcast because we're bringing you more dopeness like this and dope guests like Mike Tony Design. Bow. Holding ever fast, a journey's path never known, viewing the future. Headband of Preservation. All right, thank you for making it to the end of that super long conversation with myself and Mike Tony Design about our game of the year. Again, follow me at Jordan underscore Martins. You can follow him at Mike Tony Design. Check out his book that I worked on as well, Black Anime Lost Children of the Diaspora. And yes, we're going to have other guests on in the near future to speak gaming. Give us our takes on social. Let us know how we did. If you agree, if you disagree. Thank you for listening. Appreciate y'all.